We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Fantasyland, the podcast that covers everything you didn't know you wanted to know about fantasy sports. I'm your host, Peter Overzet, and if you live in North America, you know football is everywhere. There are 32 NFL teams, 900-some college teams, and over 14,000 high school teams, and that doesn't even count all of the peewee clubs. As you can imagine, things are a bit different in Ireland, where football as we know it is called American football and rugby is the preferred contact sport. But every Sunday morning for the past 16 months, a group of 20 and 30-something-year-old guys known collectively as the Antrim Jets, those are the same guys you heard at the top of the show hooting and hollering before a game, have gathered in the small town of Antrim in Northern Ireland to play American football. Although Mark McLarnon, the running backs coach for the Jets, would prefer you not call it American football. Just call it football. I don't like calling it American football. It's just football to me. Like so many of us, Mark is obsessed with football. He plays fantasy and tracks the NFL. His team is the Cleveland Browns, which is impressive enough on its own. But he and a few other buddies in Antrim, Niall Corrigan and Neil Adams, wanted to be more than just armchair quarterbacks and wannabe general managers from the comfort of their own homes. They wanted to make fantasy a reality and play and coach the game of football themselves. I wanted to play American football. I've been following it in Ireland for a while. I was going to join a couple of teams, but then I just said to myself, you know, why not just start one and see how we get on? 
That's Neil Adams, who in early 2016 met with his buddy Niall Corrigan in a pub and decided to lay the groundwork for a football team in Northern Ireland. Shortly after, they put up some flyers around town about a tryout. Adams said that when that day arrived, they had no idea what to expect. We still had that doubt in our head. Oh my God, what if nobody shows up here? Like, we're, we're screwed. But in our first training session, we had like 25 guys down. So we were more than happy with that. We were just like, this could, this could happen. There was one tiny problem, though. Hardly any of the guys who showed up knew anything about football. Here's Mark again. You know, a lot of our guys have never even watched a football game before. You know, they don't understand the rules. You don't understand the penalties. They don't understand how many points you get for a touchdown, you know. So they're coming in, complete novices. You might think Mark is exaggerating, but listen to him describe the reaction from their punt returner, Kadam Hassan, after scoring the Jets' first ever touchdown in a scrimmage last spring. So he comes running off the field all happy, takes his helmet off and goes, Oh, felt so good. Uh, how many points does that get us? Is that four points? <laughs> I looked at him and we all sort of turned around and said, What do you mean? He goes, Is that four points? Is that... Because we scored, is that the end of the quarter now? And we just had to laugh. It was, oh, six points. You know, there's still time left in this first quarter. you got to let them try and score as well, you know. <laughs> and I said, all right, 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 right. We're going to hear from Mark a lot during this episode. I mentioned that he's the running backs coach, but he's also the man behind the Jets' impressively comprehensive social media presence. In fact, Snapchat was how I first got introduced to Mark after he sent me a message in response to a Fantasyland episode a while ago. I was so stoked that we had listeners across the pond that I immediately posted a tweet about our overseas fans that included an emoji of what I thought was the Irish flag. I was wrong. And Twitter being Twitter, you know, it didn't take long for somebody to say, no, Peter, that's actually the Ivory Coast flag in Africa, not Ireland. And I said, yeah, Peter, it's it's not our flag. We laughed about it and then we ended up getting talking. After avoiding an international incident, the guys at Fantasyland started to keep tabs on the Jets. I'd watch their Snapchat videos and follow their tweets and see the events on Facebook for their upcoming games and scrimmages. Rotoviz even sponsored the team and has a patch on their jerseys. We were hooked. Not only were these guys taking up football in a country where it's not traditionally played, but most of these guys were grown men with day jobs like us, far removed from their college days. If you're familiar with prospect evaluation terminology, you could say that these guys didn't break out at an early age. I don't think they've got a breakout age yet. I don't think they qualify for one. Some started when they were 29, so (laughs) we're looking to start a junior team, so get them in younger and have them break out at 16. That's the dream, you know. As you can imagine, there was a steep learning curve for the players when training started up, both mentally and physically. One of the running backs, Danny McCallion, who goes by Cuttlefish, an incredible nickname, I might add, said those first days of training were really rough. I was doing those drills, uh, Mark had said, and uh, they were really basic, and I was just not ready for it. And uh, (laughs) I was struggling really, really bad. And I said to him that uh, I had to go to the toilet 
but really I just had to go into the car park and be sick. <laughs> I just went over behind the car and just threw up and that's how bad it was at the start. And I, as much as I tried to hide it, I think they knew why I had left. I wasn't really going to the toilet. And when I came back, uh, they were all kind of laughing at me. They still bring it up today. I'm 30 years old and I can barely get through one rec basketball game a week without having to take an ice bath. I can't even fathom playing tackle football and be able to walk the next day. Mark said a lot of those first practices weren't about drawing up plays, but actually just teaching these guys about the sport, the rules, and how to play it. We're all novices when it comes to football over here. You know, everybody that came down bar one or two had never played football before. You know, even half the guys didn't even know anything about football, but just wanted to try out a sport. A lot of them haven't even seen a football game before or you know, no ins and outs of football or the position. Everyone's still learning their positions. Tyler Thompson is a defensive back on the Jets, and it's in large part because he didn't know anything about the offensive side of the ball. The defense coach was like, you know, if you played any American football before, do you know positions and stuff? I was like, not, not really. Now I know there's a quarterback, I know there's a receiver, and that's about the height of it, you know? And uh, yeah, he says, yeah, come over to defense, you know, we'll try you in defense first. Cuttlefish, who also happens to work with Mark during the day at a bookmaker shop, said Mark even made the running backs a book of fundamentals to carry around and read whenever they had a spare second. He made us this whole big book of, you know, exactly what we have to do, how to hold the ball, how to block, everything basically. It's a full book. It's got running back drills in it that you can do at home. So he really gave us a good base for learning the position. Because the Jets only have the one official day of practice each week on Sundays, Tyler tries to find a few additional times throughout the week to train and study. I go to the gym three days a week, so I've sort of implemented certain things like backpedal practice and stuff in the gym once I've finished that can help, you know, as far as playing the cornerback position. And then I watch a lot of plays on YouTube and stuff of certain teams doing zone coverages and certain teams doing man coverages to see what sort of techniques they go through so as I can actually implement that into my own game. Fortunately, not all of the Jets were learning football from scratch. Donald McCluskey, who heads up the offense, had experience playing football. I joined originally as the offensive line coach. That was my position really when I played. Still do a bit of playing, but I played since sort of the 80s up till like 15, 16 years in total from that. But unlike Donald, Mark didn't have any experience coaching football, so he had to think creatively about how to quickly learn how to coach his running backs. I started going on Twitter, like I ended up taking over the Jets Twitter starting up, and so I was just, you know, searching running back coaches, and, you know, ended up messaging, like, nearly every running back coach in America, just, like, asking them for advice and see if they could help me, you know, explain the situation. You know, a couple got back to me, and uh, one of them was the Indianapolis Colts running back coach, Jamal Singleton. You know, he loved it. Like, his parents were British, you know, lived in England, and he loved the idea of, you know, trying to help somebody in football over here. Let's just pause to think about how incredible that is. A few guys start an American football team in Antrim, Ireland, a town with a population of 20,000 people. 
And now after a few messages on social media, they've rounded up enough players for a team, they've secured sponsorships, and to top it off, they're receiving personal advice, drills, and shout-outs from NFL coaches. Jamal Singleton, running back coach with the Indianapolis Colts. Just wanted to wish the Antrim Jets the best of luck this week. I know there's a lot of naysayers saying you guys can't do it, but the great thing about this game is none of their opinions matter. The only opinions that matter are your teammates, your coaches, and everyone that's in that room there supporting your organization. So just wanted to wish you the best of luck. Go Jets, go Colts. For the first year of the Jets' existence, they had no games, and their only scrimmages were intra-squad, Jets offense versus Jets defense, over and over and over. As you can imagine, a decent amount of tension built up between those two sides, and it all came to a head when the team shifted from two-hand touch drills to full contact. That particular week, it was a bit of a massacre, to be honest. We kind of really beat up on our defense, but not in a, a nasty way. We just, the boys are frustrating. They want to get out there. They want to do well. They went out and they did that. And I think just for that particular week, it was a wee bit of a culture shock for the defense. But up to that, in two touch scrimmings, they've been able to tackle very easy with two hands. Now they realize they have to do it properly. And it caused a bit of a niggle that kind of went there. It was almost, there were some people saying, oh, there's two sides to this team. Everybody's coaching one side to hit the other. And to be honest, it was never the case. Here's Cuttlefish describing the atmosphere of those early practices. The odd time it would, it could tur- not turn ugly, but it just got a little bit heated because, you know, you're trying to get good at your position and you don't want to go easy on them because you know that when it comes to a game, they need to be ready for whatever will be thrown at them and you want them to go hard on you too so you know what to expect. But this past spring, the Jets were finally going to have their chance to play against someone else because they were accepted into the IAFA. That's the Irish American Football Association. The IAFA has three divisions. The top league is the Shamrock Bowl. The middle tier is known as the IAFL 1, and the third rung is the IAFL 2. The IAFL 2 is where the Jets were slotted with five other clubs, And the way the league works is that the top two teams in the division, which culminates each season in a bowl game, get the opportunity to move up to the next division. So after a long year of just practices and intra-squad scrimmages, the Jets finally had actual games on their schedule and something tangible to play for. Cuttlefish said this was a big moment for the team. Once we played our first game, something happened that screen that was up between the offense and the defense all year just kind of fell away because they're seeing you on the field going up against the defense and they want you to do well and then you're watching them go out and protect the score for you and it just kind of fell away and then it hasn't been an issue since. The Jets tied that game on April 30th, 6-6 versus the Northern Ireland Razorbacks and with one game under their belt were finally ready to attack the rest of their season as a cohesive unit. But before we can get into that, we are going to take a quick break. I wanted to let everyone know that Fantasyland will be doing its first ever live show on Thursday, September 7th in Las Vegas at the Planet Hollywood Hotel in conjunction with the FFPC Draft Weekend. If you're in the area or will be drafting that weekend with the FFPC, we'd love to have you join us for the live show. It's at 3 p.m. That's directly before the NFL season opener. 
producer Pat Corain and I will be joined by a rotating panel of high-stakes pros, industry analysts, and FFPC drafters for an hour of fantasy games, debates, and banter. Some of our guests include David Dodds from FootballGuys.com and Farrell Elliott from the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. The live show and kickoff party is free for all FFPC live participants, and anyone else can get a ticket to the live show and the viewing party, which includes free food and soft drink, for just $50. That's your entire evening of entertainment and football for just $50. We hope to see you there, and if not, keep an eye out for the episode in your podcast feed shortly after. Because the Jets only have one day a week on Sundays reserved for training, game weeks are both stressful and exciting for the Jets. Mark told me it's almost impossible to find film on opponents, and they will scour an opposition's social media for useful tidbits, or if they are really lucky, they'll find someone on another team willing to share scouting info. Donald typically draws up the game plan for the offense before the Sunday practice, while Jerry McCabe does the same for the defense. And the coaches keep an open line of communication with the players during the week, chatting about the game and pumping them up via group text threads. And if they can squeeze it in, the Jets will sometimes hold an evening session midweek to walk through the game plan, but time is scarce with everyone having full-time jobs and families. But whatever the Jets were doing to prepare for games, it was working, because they started to pile up wins. After tying that first game, they won their second game 20-8, to then won their third game, and then a fourth. Tyler Thompson said both he and the Jets were really hitting their stride. Here he is recounting his first ever interception from their second game against the Meath Bulldogs. They were running it and running it and running it. And uh, they just weren't getting anywhere with the run, so they decided they went to pass it. And it was their first pass. And they lined up uh, a wide receiver that said he was smaller than me. And I thought, happy days, no problem. And he was going for like a fake in route. So I went to go in, but then he stopped and went to go out again. And I seen this happening, looked up and seen the ball, just stepped back and caught it nice. And I started to run up the sideline. I got, I think I got maybe 20, 25 yards. And then I just looked at my right hand side and seen one of their tight ends. Just seen him last minute and he absolutely leveled me. <laughs> I was absolutely flattened. Somehow this group of players with little to no experience and not much time to practice was not only holding its own and making big time plays, but on a trajectory to win their division and play in the IAFL2 bowl game. As the team was racking up wins, the town of Antrim took notice. Reporters from the local paper wrote up articles about the team, and some politicians, known locally as counselors, began to take in the game as well. Although, as Councilman Neil Kelly would soon discover, he wasn't going to just be a spectator. The Jets were going to put him to work. I turned up uh, one of the home games and Donald said to me, are you here for the whole game? I said, I will be, yes. And he said, right, okay, get a high-vis vest on, you're doing down marker, you know. So I did it once and um, enjoyed it. And I think I've got myself a job down there now. In case you didn't catch that, that was Neil saying he got a job working the chains at all of the Jets' home games. I'll also say as just an aside, Mark was worried when I told him about this episode and wanting to talk to everybody on the Jets that I wasn't going to be able to understand them. And for the most part, I think we did a pretty good job. But sometimes with some of these guys, when they start talking fast, it's a little hard. So I thought I'd jump in there and uh, and translate for you. 
But anyways, it wasn't just politicians like Neil Kelly coming out to the games. The Jets had amassed an impressive local fan base, so much so that it took some of the players like Cuttlefish by surprise. Our first game down at Antrim Forum, I didn't really know what to expect in, in ways of uh, the crowd that would turn out, but I think we had over like 200 people. At stage, I looked around and I was like, whoa, you know, where did all these people come from? Neil Adams said that this level of support is not common for other teams. We seem to have the biggest following in the league, and that's not us being cocky. We've been to games in the top divisions, and in our games, we've had near 400-odd people coming down to watch our games, and we're just an amateur team in Andrum. Adam attributes both the growth of the team and their fan base directly to their social media presence. We got all our players just by advertising on social media. We never advertised anywhere else at all. We just did everything over Facebook. And then whenever we got our players, we got a Twitter. And then whenever we says, right, let's do Snapchat. And now it's only recently we're starting on our Instagram, which is starting to pick up as well. We're like the only team that seems to just promote, promote, promote ourselves. Even when there's nothing happening, we're just promote ourselves just because, because we want to get our name out there. I mentioned earlier how I met Mark through Snapchat. And you heard about him making connections on Twitter and the team growing their squad and their fan base all through social media. And it's pretty incredible how much the Jets have been able to accomplish with just an active social media presence. Everyone you talked to involved with the team had something to say about it too, specifically the man behind it all, Mark. I think he kind of loves it now, so any chance he gets, he's pulling the phone out and trying to get a wee video for the viewers. He's always making sure that you can see the symbol, you know, the, our logo on every Snapchat. And it's just basically starts off with, what's up, Snapchat? Every time he's on Snapchat, he's always sitting in the car with his big vape smoke machine thing. And he always starts it off with, what's up, Snapchat? I didn't realize I was doing it, but now every time I'm tuning, if I walk by someone, they just like whisper, what's up, Snapchat? I walk down and you hear people shout, what's up, Snapchat? Like it became a wee catchphrase, you know? <laughs> Mark's got this sort of dulcet tone about his voice. He's kind of laid back. He's got a real sort of, yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's just Mark. That's just the way he is. But in a kind of a way, it's quite funny listening to him on Snapchat. He just says things that are sometimes just real random. There's a couple of boys that just get our wee group chats going. We see Mark's Snapchat is totally cringeworthy, like, but he doesn't care. He just works away, you know what I mean? If Mark... Mark buys a new pair of shoes, you go, look at my shoes, you know, uh, um, yes, Antrim Jets, by the way, <laughs> that's it. But he has such a following now, every time we go to our games, it's basically, look, there's the Snapchat king. So our last home game, there's a group of lads, group of young fellas, uh, well, not young, they're teenagers, like, you know, six or seven of them standing there getting a photo of the Snapchat king, and like, almost, he's sending off signed photos, they screenshot it onto them and all of him. He gets pictures and all talking with him. Everybody wants to maybe something for him to sign and all. It's really, it's, it is mad. See, we honest, where some people cringe at that. I think it's actually really good that there's that level of interest that people are willing to go to that extent. Despite having earned the nickname the Snapjack King and being sought after for autographs, Mark remains down to earth about the whole thing. It's just a bit fun, you know. Um, I don't know why other teams don't embrace social media as much because you know it's really key for us you know we can do a lot of the things we're doing without social media 
You're probably wondering at this point, wait, you left us hanging. How did the Jets finish their season? Well, I'm happy to say they finished with four wins, one loss, and one tie. But most importantly, they won their division and locked up the promotion to IAFL 1 next year. They also, on top of that, earned a spot in the IAFL 2 championship game, which they played on August 20th versus the Meath Bulldogs. Unfortunately, the Jets didn't get the fairy tale ending they had hoped for and suffered a tough loss to the Bulldogs in the championship game. I talked with a very dejected Mark the day after. We were beat and beat well. It was a very tough game. We played them before and we won. We beat them 20 to 8. But it just seemed like a completely different team we were facing this time. We were just outperformed on the day and just have to accept it and learn from it and move on. You know, I know some people are going to be really heartbroken. Like we had some players in tears yesterday after the game. But, you know, we had the greatest pride in how the team had performed and how hard they prepared and progressed throughout the whole year. You know, there's nothing wrong with all our team being better than you on the day. You know, we're not dejected. We're proud. Still, even though they didn't win the trophy, Mark recognizes what an incredible year they had when you put things in perspective. A year ago, if we says that we were going to win the division and get into the bowl game, you know, that was just a pipe dream. But everybody worked hard and made it reality. So we have to just be proud of what we've achieved this year. And we still made our goal of promotion. Next year, the Jets will move up to the IAFL 1 division where they will face even stiffer competition. The Jets plan to use the loss in the bowl game as motivation and as a reminder of the tougher challenges they will regularly face next year. They certainly don't plan to rest on their laurels. We as a club and as a team know that you must never stand still. You're either moving upward a little bit or you're just going to go the other way. And that's why we're only having two weeks off. It was an off-season, and then we're straight back in to a four-week rookie camp and then normal training, preparing for next year. And it's going to be just a lot of hard work, intense, and just try and keep improving and get better. Because like, we got our eyes opened a bit yesterday that we can't just stand still because everybody can keep getting better. And we know that to compete in the league above, we'll have to do a lot better and work a lot harder. One thing is for certain, though, no matter how the Jets fare on the field, they've built something bigger than football. In talking with them, it's clear that the team does all of the little things right. And one of the most impressive things I noticed was the importance that the team places on inclusivity. It's something Mark reminded me isn't always the norm in Ireland. For years, it was just, you know, Catholics, Protestants and fighting and I remember I got off the bus one day from school. I was only a kid, maybe early teens or whatever. And, um, you know, I went to a Catholic school, but I lived in a Protestant area. And I got off the bus one day, walking home, and a group of boys came out and started, you know, calling the names from a religious background and started, like, hitting me and stuff. And just for no reason, just for being a, a Catholic in a Protestant area, you know, that's what it used to be like, you know. And... Well, people are doing a lot of good work to try and get rid of all that. Councilman Kelly agreed and said the Jets have really embraced diversity. In Ireland here, um, certain sports are associated with certain 
community backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and certainly American football is something that cuts right across that, that nobody owns the sport here. We all own it. It's, just, it's for everybody, um, regardless of age, regardless of ethnic background, religious background. It's there for all to enjoy. And the people of Hunter have really got behind that and uh, are really pushing that. The guys themselves uh, a great bunch and they're very clear that uh, this is all about the sport. It's about enjoyment. It's about bringing everybody together and having fun. And as I say, that breaks down all barriers and can only be positive for this time. And you can tell the environment the Jets have created has benefited everyone involved, especially the players. And one of our players, like a young guy, he put up his post. This is what he said. He goes, I know this is random, but I've been thinking about it. And before I joined the team, I was having a hard time personally and having a hard time with my confidence. You know, just lots of little things kept eating away at me, and I was finding it hard, if I'm honest. But coming to training that mucky Sunday at school was one of the best decisions I've made. It's got me through that. I just want to say thanks to everybody. The player who wrote that note Mark just described was Tyler. When I joined the Jets, it was not a bad time in my life. You know, it was sort of, I was working a lot and stuff, and you know, it wasn't really talking to my friend. well, what were my friends then, so I was sort of on my own kind of thing. The first training session I went down, everyone was sort of egging each other on and everyone was joking about with each other and stuff, you know, sort of, this bond sort of just grew. Now I look forward to Sundays and look forward to training and being with all the guys and stuff, you know. Donald said that when the guys are vocal like Tyler, it really helps to bond the team. They get emotional, these are grown men, and they really do put it out there exactly the effect that this team has had on them. And it's great to see that, that they talk about us like we're creating a family. By the time you listen to this episode, the Jets will most likely be back to training every Sunday on the same pitch at the Antrim Forum Leisure Center. If you want to follow the action, I recommend downloading Snapchat and adding the Jets. Something tells me Mark might be active on there a bit this offseason. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to a, a long off season of uh, opening up Snapchat and hearing you saying, "What up, Snapchat?" <laughs> Thanks. I know I walked. I was walking after the game. See, it was a double header yesterday with the IAFL one bowl game. And I was walking back to the teams rooms, and there was a team that was competing in the next game. It was their window of their teams room, and I walked back. I just heard out the window, all looking. Goes, "There's that answer, Jet Snapchat guy." Like, what's up, Snapchat, and all that (laughs) just as I walk by their window. (laughs) Next time on Fantasyland. Honestly, we don't know, and we'd love to hear your suggestions, specifically stories. Both this episode and the Brothers in Arms episode from last fall were stories we heard about directly from listeners, and we know there are more out there. So if you have a great fantasy story you think we should hear about, drop us a line at fantasylandpod at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter, also at fantasylandpod. Thank you for listening to Fantasyland, the podcast that covers everything you didn't know you wanted to know about fantasy sports. And special thanks to everyone involved with the Antrim Jets who talked with us for this episode. 
That's Mark McLarnon, Neil Adams, Donald McCluskey, Tyler Thompson, Danny McCallion, aka Cuttlefish, and Neil Kelly. If you'd like to keep tabs on the Jets, and I highly recommend that you do, you can follow them on Snapchat at Antrim Jets, all lowercase, one word, on Twitter at Antrim Jets, and on Facebook, that's facebook.com slash Antrim Jets. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review Fantasyland on iTunes and tell a friend about the show. We'd really appreciate it. And if you've missed any of our previous episodes, you can find those on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. We'll also shortly be moving over to Blog Talk Radio. All of the shows are evergreen, so it's never too late to go back and listen to older episodes. And as always, our producers are Fantasy Douche, Matthew Friedman, and Patrick Crane. And I'm your host, Peter Overzet. Uh, okay, Donald McCluskey? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's an Irish name. It's Dono. So, like... Donald? Dono. Dono. It's not like Donald Trump. You know, it's not yeah, like yeah. Donald. It's, it, you know, like, see, if you say donut... Okay, Donald? It's Dono. Dono. I got I it. Dono. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah. but the last name was the, actually the part I was trying to get help on. I <laughs> thought I had the first part down. It's uh, <laughs> you, you should call him Donald. It'd be funny. Um, it's McCluskey. Donald McCluskey. Now you got me in my head. <laughs> yeah, it's Do- Donald McCluskey. McCluskey. All right, you might just have to tell these guys. Hey, you know, Peter, they worked really hard on this episode, but they might not (laughs) nail the pronunciation of your name. (laughs) They'll be all right. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.